0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com This is our first stop here in the cemetery in Amsterdam. And it's really a great uh, privilege to be at the grave, at the Kever, of one of the all-time great personalities in the Jewish people. Just to give you a little bit of a background of what Menachem israel was dealing with when he came to uh, Amsterdam, First of all, Menachem in Israel came from, we don't like to use the word, but from a Murano family. His family is from either Madeira or from Lisbon, and they were crypto-Jews, and they were accused of Judaizing by the Inquisition, and his father escapes just in a split-second timing from being burnt at the the fe, and he comes to Amsterdam. You have to understand the Jews in Amsterdam at the time had been indoctrinated with Christian theology for a very long time. And many of the works that Menashe Ben-Israel wrote were to address the corrupted Christian views that Jews had maintained and held on to very strongly. So Menashe Ben-Israel wrote a sefer called Nishmas Chayim. Actually, there was a Rav in Cougar uh, Hills who republished it, Rabbi Shemar Yoach Shulman. Nishmas Chaim was a book proving the immortality of the Jewish soul. Menasheh bin Israel wrote a book, uh, "Mikveh Yisrael, or in uh, Spanish, Esperanza de Israel, which expressed the uh, yearning for the coming of Mashiach. All of these works were translated into number of languages, into Latin, into Portuguese, into English. Menasheh bin Israel believed that the uh, American Indians were the Asers <laughs> He writes that the uh, American Indians were the Ten Tribes. By the way, Menachem Menizel also writes something very interesting. He says that when, the, when Mashiach comes, American Jews will return to Eretz Yisrael with their money. With their <laughs> money, he says. So, um, but some say American Jews refers to Jews of Central America, he doesn't have any predictions of the Jews of Borough Park and Flatbush. <laughs> he writes a book, Penei Rabbah, an index of the Medrash Rabbah. He writes a book, Chuas Israel. He writes a book, Conciliador. So I have the uh, title page over here, Conciliador, reconciled all of the difficult passages in the Tanakh. Now, Menachem ben Israel comes to Amsterdam, and in a certain sense he would He was shortchanged. Because the leading rabbi at the time was Rabbi Shol Mortera, next rabbi at the time was Rabbi Yitzchak Abu and all of these uh, rabbanim joined to be uh, one one congregation called Neve Shalom. Now, if you have one congregation and three salaries, it does not leave an, a lot of money for the assistant assistant rabbi which was the position that was offered to Menachem Ben-Israel. So he figures he can't support himself. Even his writing wasn't enough to support himself. By the way, he opened up the first printing press here in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and he published many works. But he was not able to uh, support himself. In all likelihood, he was shafted to this position because the community did not like the books he was writing, which were trying to weed out these Christian views that they so strongly held. Anyway, Menashe Ben-Israel is about to settle in the New World, in Brazil. Just as he's about to settle in Brazil, Yitzchak Abuhav is offered the rabbinate in Brazil, which frees up the assistant rabbi job here in Amsterdam, which was given to Menashe Ben-Israel. Now, he believed very strongly that in order for Mashiach to come, Jews need to be exiled to all four corners of the world, to all the extremities of the world. The furthest extremity Menashe Ben-Israel believed that was possible was... England. And therefore he held that until the Jews are readmitted to England, the Mashiach could not come. And therefore in that context Menachem Ben-Israel traveled to England. He had audience with Oliver Cromwell and he petitioned for the return of the Jewish people to England. The bottom line is Cromwell did not allow the Jewish people to return to England. Uh, Menachem Ben-Israel felt very dejected he comes back to Amsterdam with his son. Nebuch, his son, passes away in this area on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, all likelihood buried right here. And then Menachem in Israel himself had a premature death at the age of 53 here in Amsterdam. However, the petition of... Um, Menachem Israel was effective to the extent that Oliver Cromwell allowed the Jewish people to return unofficially. So that sort of opened the doors for the unofficial return of the Jews to England. Now, Menachem Israel was a great philosopher, he was a great Talmudist, and he believed very strongly in the Zayar HaKadosh, which was not common in those times. So he was a synthesis of Emunah in Talmud Bavli and in the Zayar HaKadosh. He writes about Gilgulim. So it was not common for a, a Portuguese philosopher to believe in the Tires HaGilgal. And again, the Sefer Nishmas Chaim is a Sefer about the immortality of the Jewish soul. So it's a great tzchus to be here at his kever. The man who began to pave the way for Portuguese Jews to come back to traditional Jewish beliefs. S'chusa yogin olayna Amen. Okay, we're at a very important kever uh, here. This is the kever of Sha'al Halevi Mortera, who when the three Kehilos united, he was the chief rabbi of all three Kehilos. Now, in his lifetime he gave more than 500 drashos. Of these 500 drashos, they were condensed, synthesized into something called Givas Shaul. 50 drashos of Rabshal Halevi Mortero. If you want to know about the community here in in Amsterdam, you study the drashos of Rabshal Halevi Mortero. He wrote a a work, work in Lashna Attacking Christianity, a very powerful work. He also wrote a work in Portuguese, Attacking Calvinism, which was never published. So just getting a picture for the times of what the Jewish community was like, the types of ideals and ideas and perspectives that had seeped into their practice and consciousness like we saw by the earlier graves, you saw the icons and images on the graves. So this is what the Rabbanim were dealing with. Menachem ben Israel is sort of bringing Klaus so back to the true belief in Olam Haba and the immortality of the Neshama. But there were many foreign beliefs that the Rabbanan were fighting here in the 17th century. Rabshal Halevi Mortero, Zuchusayogin Olenu. Okay, we're here in Amsterdam, and again, this is one of the great all time personalities of the last thousand years that many people don't know about. You look in the Chidah, in the Shem Hagdan of the Chidah, on Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas, so he says on his entry to the Sefer Oihal Yaakov, he was a Rav. Mayore Ore a rabbi from the west, Ubala Ore and he came to the east. So that doesn't necessarily give us the full picture of the life of Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas. By the way, Sasportas is a Ladino name. So it means sheish, six portas, ports, six gates. Okay, Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas is born in 1610. What's very interesting is Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas is a direct descendant of the Ramban direct descendant of the Ramban. Now, he's 12 years old. He makes Siyam Hashas. In the year Shin Peiches, 1628, he's 18 years old. He's one of the Gdoi Hadar, and he becomes the Abbezin of Talmisan in Morocco. 20 years he's a Rav in Morocco. Okay, so he's a Moroccan Gadol from the Gerushe um, Svarad. Now, Rabbi Yaakov Sesportas most famous work, and what he is renowned for is that when Shabtai Tzvi, Yemach Shemoi, reveals himself in the year 1626, Shin Vav, and the, the majority of the Jewish world gets swept along, including many great Torah personalities, many great Rabbanim. Rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas was the most outspoken Rabbi against Shabtai Tzvi. He led the battle fiercely at great personal expense. And there's a big question. How was it that Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas was the only one who saw through the charade? He's the only one who had the conviction and had the honesty. And one of the primary reasons was he was not hired by his congregation, but rather he was an independent man. And therefore he was not subject to the will of the congregation. Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas fought a valiant war against the Shabtai Tzvi. Uh, there were a few Moroccan tzaddikim who joined him. Rabbi Daniel Tolidano and others. But Rabbi Yaakov was the most outspoken. Now he collected all of his, the whole entire polemic in a work called Tzitzas Noivel Tzvi. Tzitzas Noivel Tzvi. Later on Rabbi Yaakov Emden abridged it in a work called Kitzur Tzitzas Noivel Tzvi. He was a very dear friend of Menashe in Israel. So when Menashe in Israel co- goes to audience with Oliver Cromwell, Menasheb in Israel is accompanied by none other than Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas. He was a rabbi in Sali. He was then the rabbi in Amsterdam. He writes letters to the rabbi in Venice, Reb Shmuel Abuhav, Rabbi Shimon Shapira, and he fought valiantly against the Shabtai Tzvi. He then became a rabbi in Hamburg. And amazingly, with all the difficulties of his life, Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas lived lived 86 years old. He was really Midas Hadin. And uh, throughout history, and in the hundreds of years since uh, Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas, he's really the uh, visionary and the compass that Chal Yisrael has always looked to when there are questions regarding redemption and false messianism, Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas is the, the goalpost, the, the compass of... Now, you ask, how did Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas know that he was not the Mashiach? Well, he writes many arguments. Number one, he pointed to the Rambam and the Gerest Teman, that the Mashiach has to be born in Eretz Yisrael. So, right, you don't even get to first base. Number two, he has to build the base HaMikdash. It's irrelevant that it creates a worldwide Shuva movement. Many Rabbanim didn't want to speak up against Shabtai because they said, well, let, let the repentance sweep the people. But Yaakov Sesporta says that's not relevant to the issue of whether somebody is Mashiach or not. So he really identifies the specific criteria that are needed to judge whether somebody, in fact, is the true Mashiach. So we should be Zoicha standing in this place of somebody who was able to weed out false Mashiach. You know, he was challenged. He said, Well, do you not believe in Mashiach? He said, No, you don't believe in Mashiach. So you're willing to accept falsehood. I truly believe in Mashiach. So in the Zuchus, like Rav Moshe writes, that uh, the famous account that the reason why Mashiach came from the Benois Yisloit is because they could have created a false messiah and claimed they were pregnant from the Shechina and because they didn't, they were Zaycha to the true Mashiach so this is a, a Makgoi Mesuga that we should daven for the redemption of the Jewish people zechus HaYagin Aleinu, Amen Okay, just a brief word we mentioned in 1639 the three Kehiloists united Kehilo of Rav Shol Morterah, Rav Abu'av and Menasheb in Israel so he was ranking number two Rabbi Isaac Abu Fonet Fonseca. Now, he was then offered the job to be Rabbi in Brazil, which opened up the second job for Menachem in israel So it gives you a little bit of a picture for his eminence. He's from uh, 1605 to 1693. And uh, we have to research further the life of this great personality. Okay, just uh, another brief word of um, a very important personality of Reb Isaac ben Abraham Uziel, Rabbi Yitzchak Uziel, 1560 to 1622, 1560 to 1622. Well, what do we know about Rabbi Yitzchak Uziel? Menashe ben Israel's family comes to Amsterdam, they're running away from Inquisition, and by the way, Menashe ben Israel's name was Manuel Diaz Soeira. <laughs> Manuel, he comes to Amsterdam, the father says, you know, we need to embrace open practice of Judaism, so they adopt the name Ben-Israel. That's why they have the name Ben-Israel. Menashe Ben-Israel is educated thoroughly in Talmud Bavli. Who taught Menashe Ben-Israel Gemara for two years? Yitzchak Uziel was the Rebbe of Menashe Ben-Israel. He was the one who gave him his Torah education immediately when he came from Portugal. So it's a personality who would even remember? But through Menasheb in Israel, the the transmission from Rabbi Yisroel continued. Zechus hayogen Okay, it's a great zechus to be here at the Jewish Ashkenazic cemetery in the Netherlands in Muidenberg. Now, this kever is not one which is even uh, advertised or known about. We just stumbled across it because we're opposite the Kavar of Rab Shol of Amsterdam, who was the son of Rab Arie Leib of Amsterdam, so we figured perhaps Rab Arie Leib is in the vicinity, and sure enough, right behind him he's here. Now this is a very old uh matzeva. So for instance this matseva, the words are engraved in. So one perhaps is allowed to read it, it's not Kashala But these oys are Boilite. So the question is whether you're allowed to read it, we'll just um read selected lines and Reb Chaim Kinevsky says one of the Inyanova putting the stone on the matseva is it counteracts the effects of Kausha shikcha. So, it says that Leib Lev Ari, Ari Leib of Amsterdam. Who's Reb Leib of Amsterdam? He's the son of Reb Shol of Krakow. Who's Reb Shol of Krakow? The son of the Rebbe Reb Heshal of Krakow. So he is the grandson of the Rebbe Reb Heshel, he lived from 1690 to 1753. He did not publish any works. His chedushim are mentioned in the works of the Binyan Ariel. Also, tshuva ayin vav, Chacham tzvi. He brings the chedushim of his son-in-law, Reb Rye Leib of Amsterdam. It's very interesting. He gives a haskoma to the sefer, miradachia. And he writes about the importance of learning Dikdok. He says, It is primary. In other words, it's the first of Torah one needs to know. However, doyresh in nobody pays attention to it. Maybe, one person in the city but it's required not only for learning Chumash, it's required for learning Mishnah and it's requir- required for learning Talmud now his son was Rav shal of Amsterdam, the Binyan Ariyel and his uh, son was also Rav Hirsch of Berlin and Rav shal of Haag, Holland was also a son-in-law so this is uh, now Rav Ariylei of Amsterdam as mentioned was a son-in-law of the Chacham Tzvi and uh, in terms of his stance on the, with the Shabdai uh, Tzvi, of course, he was uh, a very strong supporter of his brother in law, Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And Rabbi Yaakov, when Rabbi Yaakov Emden um, came to Amsterdam, so of course it was through the help of Rabbi uh, Leib of Amsterdam, son in law of the Chacham Tzvi, Zuchusa Yogin Olinu, Amen. We have the great Zuchus to be at, first before to be at, to find the Kever of Rabshal of Amsterdam, who was born in 1717, he was not there in 1790. Rav of Amsterdam, you see over here, Binyan Ariel, is the son of Rab Ariyei Leib of Amsterdam, who is the son-in-law of the Chacham Tzvi. So he's also the grandson of Rav of Krakow, which makes him the great-grandson of the Rebbe Reb Heschel. So you see a very long line of a great dynasty. He wrote, the Sefer on Chumash, Binyan Riel. He wrote a Sefer on Chumash that he published in 1762, Ha-Chatser We have Piskei Halacha on him about the status, uh, status of Dutch cheese that he wrote in a country. It's, Halacha Lama sarav Now, he was first a rav in Hungary. He was a rav in Dubna. He wrote Hagaisan on Mesech on Shulchan Aruch. And this is very interesting. In the year Tav Kuf Ches. 1778, who came to Amsterdam? The Ramcha, um, the Chida. And the Chida went to visit Rav Shol of Amsterdam. And says the Chida in the Shemak HaGdoilem. I was to receive the countenance of the Shechina. Avri Bishli When I was coming through Amsterdam to collect for the Yeshivas. the Zahisi me was to be well, taken in by the beautiful aroma of his tyro, umeyan v'sanusai, and from his humility, Musa and his wholesomeness. The binyan Ariel wrote a haskama to a very great tzaddik. Now this tzaddik, his whole life they pursued him. The rabbis of Venice pursued him ad 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 nefesh, and he comes to Amsterdam now. Now, into the Rab- Rabbanim of Venice, pursue him. The Chacham Tzvi wrote very uh, strongly against Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato, as did Rav Yaakov Emden. However, we do know that they both retracted. So you say, how do we know that they retracted ag- uh, against Ramchal? Because the Binyan Ariel, who is this, uh, the son of Rab Arielib of Amsterdam, not only retracted but wrote a Haskamah for the Ramchal on one of his uh, latest Svarim. He retracted, they retracted their original opinion when they met him personally when the Ramchal came to Amsterdam. So in one of the later Sarm of the Ramchal, we have a haskama of Rabshal of Amsterdam from the Binyan Ariel. Now, when the Binyan Ariel passed away and they took out his coffin, they took out his beer from his house, it started pouring in Amsterdam. And the moment the Mita left Amsterdam... The skies cleared up. And that was a simon min ha The Binyar was Mamish, one of the G'doy oilam He was Ben-Lamit he-shanim Haya b'malchai. And he was Nifter at 73 years old. Shabbos ko b'shas mincha. And he was buried on Sunday, the eighth day of Tammuz, in the year Vatihi ha al-shechmai. Tehei nishma surah Okay, we were exactly to find the Kever of the son-in-law of the Chacham Tzvi, Rebbe Lebe, of Amsterdam, and the Binyan Ariel. And now we stumbled across the Kever of Miriam. V'atama Shem Miriam V'atikavar Sham Gezeira HaShavol Chal Nefesh. Who is Miriam? She is Bas HaMepur Sam B'chalkat Who is that? The daughter of the Chacham Tzvi. So she is the Rebbezin of Amsterdam, the Rebbezin of Arielib of Amsterdam. The daughter of Chacham Tzvi, sister of Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And she's buried here in Amsterdam. And uh, Zuchusa, Yagin A Amen. She's Nifter. Ha On the day of the Shvira Saluchais. Shiva Sabbatamos. Tafkov Yod Gimel. Which is 1753. And then she was uh, buried on Erev Arab Shabbos Kaidash. Tehei neshma Okay, it's a great tzuchus to be here in Amsterdam. And we discovered the kever of the great-grandson of the Pnei Yeshua, Reb Shmuel Falk. Great-grandson Pnei Yeshua is buried next to other Av, Av bate Dinim in Amsterdam. Uh, for instance, Reb Yosef Tzvi Donner and Rev Sadoik Tal. But the Reb Shmuel Falk, great-grandson of the Pnei Yeshua, how's that? son of Rabbi Socher Beirish, grandson of the great Goin, the Pnei Arye, great-grandson of Rav Unshel Kol Banei ha Baal Pnei Yeshua, and he was the Avbezin in Amsterdam, and at the Chus of being B'makam Nuchasai, all of our Eskabel, Shubi Neskabel, So the uh, stone was placed here, not in 1839, when the great-grandson of Pnei Yeshua passed away, but rather, on your Elul, Tafresh Pei, in 1920 they refurbished this even, because it says over here it used to be here but it was broken because of its age. They
1: could have taken it out of Bechal, Hall but they know about it, so they left it in there and it's it's still in there.
0: Uh, otherwise very little was taken uh, from this. Uh, what is it, a, a, another thing in, in this synagogue that might strike you? Do you have a sign with the, the 10 commandments in the place? I don't know if you're going to the same synagogue, but do you have a sign like that, or just yeah. Aleph Hedgin, the first two words? Okay. No, but it depends on the church, some yes, yes or not. Yes. But many do. Yes. This was the very first synagogue in the world where they did it. And you can see it right here, and it's not just the first two words. It's not a complete text, the but it's almost a
1: complete text. And it's ten lines and it's two rectangular uh, plates about about a khetsin, as and written in
0: the shimot. Uh really? the letters are actually carton good and they're bolted onto the board that's behind it. I I was asked to stand over here because this is the official location of the rav in this kehila. Now there are many great Rabbanim was served in this Kehillah most notably Rav Martera Mortera Martera Mortera was uh, the Rav over here together with Rabbi Kabuhav. and another great Rav in this uh, general Kehillah was the Binyan Ariel, Rav of Amsterdam actually the Chida came to Amsterdam on two occasions 1754 1778 by the way the Chida writes in Magaltov, Tov he's walking in the streets of Amsterdam and he didn't wasn't familiar with his surroundings, he got knocked over by a carriage, he seems he had a concussion, he came into the shul all woozy, so you got to watch where you're going in the streets of Amsterdam. In any event, the Chida says that he met Rav Shul of Amsterdam, and I want to uh, share with you three machshavos that the Chida writes in the Sefer Avodas HaKodesh of what to think upon entering a shul. Okay, which means every time a Jew enters a shul, they're supposed to have the following three thoughts. Number one, the mitzvah I fear the mikdash. There's a mitzvah That's the first machshava. Then the chidah adds that's not enough. One has to think, I am, I have moira mimisha Not just I fear the mikdash. I have fear from my Kaddosh Baruch Hu who resides in the Mikdash. And number three, before you enter a shul, you should think, I'm being noitel reshuz from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be able to enter his house. You can't just enter a shul. You have to ask permission. Now, it's very interesting, because the board in this shul was very powerful, very strong. And aside from all the individuals we mentioned who were Rabbanim, Rav Shol Mortera, Rabbi Abu Hav Menasheh ben Israel... The, jo- the job was offered to a notable Rav. His name was Rab Chizkiyahu Di Silva. Anybody know? Who's Chizkiyahu Di Silva? Pri Prychadash said, he was thinking about it, the board said like this, we're going to pay you a handsome salary. Just don't tell us exactly what to do. Prychadash turned them down. Says Lechida, Ashrei not to take a position that he's subject to the board. We'll see, actually in the shul, there's a special boardroom, a room for the mamad. The Chadash turned down the job he went to, Sholayim, he's buried on Har Hazesim. But this was a position offered to him in the Kehila of Amsterdam. So this, uh, there are many great Rabbanim who did serve here, and this shul was in effect for uh, for many hundreds of years. Every time you enter a shul, remember the chidah, your mekayim the mitzvah, um mikdash haitiroh. You have moira, memisha shashoy, and your noito tel from our Baruch Hu to enter. All of our tefillah should be Niskabel, barach <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I'll leave that, I'll leave that for you. <laughs> What do I get out of it? Okay, here we go. Picture. <laughs> Thank you. You try it on. We're here at the Spanish-Portuguese synagogue in the Maimud room. We know that the Maimud in the time of uh, the 17th century was exceptionally strong. Rav Yaakov Sosporta said, that he ruled the fact that the Maimed was so strong, and because of that, he felt that the Rabbanon were not the ones who had the power, but rather the power rested in the hands of the Maimed. In fact, we've mentioned many times that the Chidah says that the pre was offered a job in Amsterdam, and the Chidah praises the pre that he did not take the job, because he, it would be a job which was conditional, dependent on him following the dictates of the... Uh, the leadership of the shul. And this room represents the power that the Maimud had, had, and it was a power that not only did the Kahila have to reckon with, it was a power that the Rabbonim had to reckon with, and many Rabbonim made the decision not to serve in such a capacity. Okay everyone, before we leave, we just want to say this was the shul of Chacham Tzvi, and Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas, this is a big Ashkenazic shul. So before we leave, we're going to say over a famous question of the Chacham Tzvi. The Chacham Tzvi asks the contradiction between two hal- halachot of the Mechaber. When it comes to Hilchois, Hadlakas Ner Chanukah, the Mechaber Paskins, that if you have a katon shehigiyah lechinuch, he could light the menorah and be moitzi the whole household. Yet when it comes to reading Megillus Esther, Chacham Tzvi says, uh, lechinuch cannot be, might say. What's the difference between Megillah, where the katan cannot be, might say, and Ner that the katan could be, might say? That's the kasha of the Chacham Tzvi. By the way, Rabbi Shmuel Rozovsky in Zichar and Shmuel asks the same question. Says the Chacham Tzvi, the mitzvah of Ner devolves on the house, not on the person, so the katan shehigillah chenuch collided. The mitzvah of Megillah devolves on the person, so therefore the katan cannot be, might say, since he's not uh, yet a bar mitzvah. Shavosu Chacham Okay. This is... Okay, to I'm uh, very honored to be here with my good friend, Rabbi Jonathan Siegel, of the Amsterdam community, involved with the Kaila and other important Askanas in the city. Um, and uh, we were discussing today, it was a pleasure to meet you this Shabbos, about this idea that we set over on Shavas Batamos. In a nutshell, the idea is, you know, in preparation for coming here, we... Uh, we're learning a lot about the great gedolim that lived in the city, most notably Rabbi Yaakov Sasporas and his work Tzitzas Noivel Tzvi, and all the terrible tragedies that came about as a result of uh, the false Mashiach throughout history. And I'm just wondering, it, probably from the greatest disasters in our history were the false Mashiach. Why don't we have a fast day to commemorate these tragedies? And a friend of mine, Rabbi um, Isaac Yaslovsky, reminded me we had learned from Rabbi Chanan then his opinion when Rabbi Wasserman that when Chal made the Egal the golden calf which in effect was a false savior false Mashiach and it's a punishment punishment for it is visited upon us in every generation in the form of in every generation there's a false Mashiach so in effect Shabbat Tammuz is a fast day to commemorate the false Mashiach And at the same time, we all, we've said over from the Chazam Sefer, B'ayaz lived with Rus on Shiva Ashabatamos. That, produ- that means Oyved was conceived on Shiva Ashabatamos. So at the same time, Shiva Ashabatamos is a day that could bring about the possibility for a true Mashiach. And so Zelum the Klippah comes and tries to sully it with the, uh, that's why the Egal HaZahav, and probably why Shabtai Tzvi was insistent on eating on Shiva Ashabatamos. So Shiva Ashabatamos, and really the three weeks in general. It's a time of uh, really the, com- the possibility for the true redemption, and at the same time, we're, we're mourning all the false Mashiachs left throughout history. So, you shared with me a story today that I was uh, very moved by yeah. and uh, appreciative
1: of. Could you share it with us? Yes, it would be a pleasure. Okay, so. Um so yes, on uh, Yudzayin Betamuz, I was, uh, as usual, listening to uh, Rabbi Gladstein, who I find to be an amazing uh, 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 speaker and uh, with amazing ideas. And I saw this, uh, I saw this, I, I came across this uh, sherry, It just apparently just put it out when I saw it. It was in the afternoon on Yudzayin Betamuz, as you know, it's a very long fast day here. And in
0: Amsterdam.
1: When is the fast over? Yeah, fast is over at eleven. This year was over at eleven o three, which was early this year. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, in the late afternoon, I heard the Um and it was about. It was all about uh, Shabtai, Tzvi, huh? uh, Shabtai Tzvi and how Rav Yaakov um fought Shabtai Tzvi, and he was the main opponent uh, 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 opponent of Shabtai Tzvi in the world. And um, and he spoke over there about how Shabtai Tzvi had made a war basically on Yudzaim the Tammuz and Tishabav and declared them uh, uh, days of uh, a Yom Tov and said that that it made a decree that we must eat on them and the Rav brought a uh, a, um, uh, a, a drush of about yeah, okay thank you right. thank you very much and the Rav brought a. Um, uh, 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 first of all, he said that Shaptei Svi made a notrikan of his name. Do you remember right. how Backward, it's backwards? Spelled, backwards, you know. backwards. It's spelled something eating on on, uh, on, on, on Tishbav, and he also brought from the pasuk uh, the, that they they exchanged. The 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 amiros kvodam betavne ochal esev and esev is asaras shivasa betam betamus, and I immediately thought that uh, that that actually maybe the pasuk was actually being meramiz to what shabtei shabtei tzvi. Actually did, that he, he created an ego by saying, uh, on, I'll tell you why when, when I
0: have this discussion, cause just the power of, um, Torah today, cause you said you heard this year on Shiva Right.
1: Yeah, so, so what happened was, first of all, I have a, uh, always had a soft spot for Yaakov's supports, cause his yort site is the same as my father's yort site. So every year I visit his kever, on uh, on uh, on uh, his your side is Dalit Er, So I go there every year and um, and, and I daven at his kever. When I heard this, I had always known that he had fought Shabtai Tzvi. That I knew. But when I heard the shir of Rav Gladstein um, I didn't realize that he was the main opponent. I didn't realize what a war and what Messiris Nefesh he did to fight Shabtai Tzvi and how he was one man against you know the whole world, basically, who had succumbed to this terrible cognitive dissonance of wanting to believe something that just wasn't true, and um, it, it just it gave me a new appreciation for what he stood. and And then I'm thinking today is Yudain Batamuz because the rabbi just spoke about it, and I never realized that it was this this war was connected with Yudain Batamuz. So I said, you know, I live it's a, it's a six minute bike ride from my home to support this, so I said, "Why should I not go there?" So I decided I have to go there today, and I have to daven at kever. I was so inspired, and I said, "I have to do it today." Yudzayin This was his war. So because of the sheer, I uh, after mincha it was nine o'clock, still light outside, still before shkia. I got on my bike, went there, and was so dis- disappointed that the basic Foros was locked. <laughs> And I couldn't get in, but I work with the Chabad Hadisha, so I. You know your way around. I know I know my way around. Uh, I I I was able to get in. I went. I found my way. Okay, and I went in, and uh, I been there for a long time. Uh, We we have plenty of time in Amsterdam, and uh, uh, it was very meaningful and. yeah and uh it, it was just um i got the the sheer gave me a new appreciation a new insight to the whole the whole the whole episode and who this person was and it's a big nechama to me to know that I have a neighbor six minutes away who was such a gut willby so
0: so just to conclude, I want you to share with me and with uh the listeners um there's a i know there's some connection between Amsterdam was considered like the Yishlahaim of Europe. What what what, what is it? Yeah. Like
1: that? So what I have learned since I've been here is, and this is this is very interesting because a lot of the old Dutch people, like it's only in, it's only in actually in Amsterdam, there were many many Eden that lived in Amsterdam before the war. Um, like I mentioned today, uh, there was the I got to know a Mr. Rosen who used to daven in the old Lekstrat synagogue, and he he could personally tell me he was eighteen years old. You know, before the war, he was put in camps, but he he told me, you know, that there were 800 people there on a, on a Shabbos morning, 200 out in the street, you know, and there were so many Yidden in Amsterdam, it was at least one-fifth of the city were, were Yidden, and so just like we find in New York that words creep into... Um, uh, into the language, like, you know, like mensch and nash and, you know, these become, um, these have become American words. So, yeah. So this, this happened to the language here, especially, especially in Amsterdam where most of the Yidin lived. And there are certain words, but one of them is very interesting because the, the Yidin called Amsterdam Hamokim, That's how they pronounce it. It means the word Hamokum, right? We know that the base of Migdash and Yerushalayim are called Hamakom, and there's a reason for that. The, the moral explains because it's makom shalolam. It's the makayim of the world. Makom is the world makayim, and it's the makayim of the world. But th- that's that's why it's called that. But Lemaisa, Yerushalayim is called uh, Hamakom, mm-hmm. and so Amsterdam was considered uh, the Jerusalem. It was called. It was nicknamed the Jerusalem of the West of Western Europe. Uh, of Western Europe. So, so the nickname for Amsterdam was called. Ha- they pronounce it with a very Dutch accent, Hamokum. And actually, there was some kind of songwriter that made a song, a popular song called Hamokum. Really? Yeah. So, uh, and there are, other, there are other words also, like a, a prison is called a bias, and, a, and five is called hay. And there are many words. And right. in, in, in the old Dutch people, if you say these words, they don't even know what they are. They don't even know their Yiddish words, but they know these words. It's, it's very so, interesting
0: um, Rabbi Siegel we very much appreciate uh, you taking a few minutes to spend with us and we should both such merit an together such an to, an see to have the Rab
1: in town that it's Amsterdam amazing. should, should
0: be built up to be Yerba Envy Yisrael and we should okay. Go back to the real Malkam. The real Malkam. Which is Yushalayim. We should be there together with the restoration of uh, Malchus B'Aist David. It's Zayim HaRavi. Zayim HaChemishi. Zayim HaShivu. Zayim HaShivu. Yid HaB'Aist Yehuda. L'Sasen HaSimcha. work.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.